Welcome to the Lightning Round. Welcome to the Dave Kirshner Lightning Round Podcast. It is episode 36. And if you're keeping track, it's week 45 of Dum Dum in the 46 Quadrennial Hunger Games. All right. I went, got me some ducks. Went duck hunting over the weekend. <laughs> so, my buddy flew into town from North Kakalaki. And, uh... We drove up to uh, Cardinal Shooting Center uh, because uh, I said last week he didn't want to travel with his gun and deal with TSA and because it basically it adds like an hour in, in his experience it, it adds almost an hour to the trip dealing with uh, federal employees. You know, because you got to check the gun in, and you got to get the paperwork inserted into the gun case, and then you've got to lock the gun case, and then you know to pick it up, it doesn't come out on the conveyor belt. You got to go to another office once you get to your destination. Thankfully, he did not check a gun because he was trying to fly out of Raleigh, Raleigh Durham International, and the plate, the plane showed up. An hour and a half late from, I think it was coming from, I, I don't know, you know what, I don't think he ever told me. But, anyway, the plane showed up like an hour, hour and a half late. So they get everybody on the plane. And then they start heading out and, uh-oh, we got a problem with the generator on one of the engines. They turn the plane around, come back to the gate, and then they get them all off the plane then they bring in a new plane. Flight's delayed. Flight delayed, flight delayed, flight delayed. He was supposed to be in Columbus at 1.30. He wound up showing up at 8 o'clock at night. Now add on top of that the multiple plane changes. And then he went over to the ticketing counter. for this, for the. He went to a different ticketing counter than... The uh, rest of the people on his plane, and he wound up getting rerouted. So instead of going to Detroit, he wound up going to Atlanta. Now you know, try doing all of that with a gun. That is that is not going to be a fun day. So he got here, you know, seven hours later than we thought he was going to get here. But we had a good time anyway on uh, on Saturday night. Sunday we went up to Cardinal Shooting Center. He wanted to get uh, he wanted to put some rounds through my Browning uh, BPS. He did quite well with that. Uh, he has a, a Browning as well, and was the one that recommended that I get the Browning. Uh, you know, as a kind of a I don't want to say beginner. I mean, because the thing looks like it's got such a long barrel on it. It's it, it's like your it's like a handheld howitzer. But, you know, the 12 gauges are like that. The The Mossberg that I was shooting has a barrel that's six inches shorter. So it's easier to swing in a duck blind. Um, I, I like my Mossberg and, and I like my Browning. And I'm glad I was able to, 
I, I'm able to have two of them, two 12 gauges, so that he can he can use one. Doesn't have to worry about that. And then from Cardinal, we went up to we. Oh, I should say we were in the middle of shooting at Cardinal, and we were doing the sporting clays course. And the wind started picking up, and the clays started flying all over the place. Like, you know, if they were being launched up into the wind, I mean, the wind got a hold of those things and blew them <laughs> well off of the trajectory that they, that I think they were supposed to be flying on. And it actually did a wonderful job of simulating actual wildlife flight, uh, migratory bird flight, because they don't fly uh, in, you know, pre-programmed flight patterns they 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 turn they raise an altitude they lower an altitude and so you got to be able to track all these things and, and oh by the way they're doing you know <laughs> 30 40 miles an hour so uh, to me it's it's much more sporting plus i enjoy the the meat so you know win-win and from there so we were out there on doing sporting clays and it's 16 stations, 100 rounds. Um, it's uh, six clays per station except for two where there are eight clays at those two stations. So we were having a great time. And in the middle of all of that, I got a phone call from the guide up at Lake Erie canceling the Monday duck hunt because up in Port Clinton off of uh, Catawba Island over there near Put-In Bay and Sandusky Bay, um, they were having small craft advisories and gale force wind warnings. Um, they were expecting sustained winds for most of Monday with 35 to 40 mile an hour, 40 knot winds sustained, and then uh, expecting wind gusts up to 50 knots. And so, you know, that, that sucked. So we already were down one day, but we were going to go up anyway. Unfortunately, when they canceled that day, two of the guys backed out because they couldn't hunt on Tuesday. So uh, my buddy and I, we went on up. We got um, some locals and the guide service gave us some some spots to try out that weren't on the on the, any of the bays and it wasn't on the lake. But, I mean, the wind was blowing. So we wound up going to... Uh, Rest Haven, uh, and we also wound up going to Metzger's. Um, it was it was tough. Um, it's it's doubly tough because you're going into two new spots that are blind. So we went to Metzger's in the morning, and we went to Rest Haven in the afternoon. You're going into two spots, and I mean, and you don't trust what you're seeing because I was looking at what you know, especially at Rest Haven. Well, I was looking at something that looked like deep water. But the locals were saying, just don't go to Pond 10. Pond 10 has got a huge channel in it. You'll lose your hat. <laughs> That's their way of saying you will be submerged and go underwater because you won't touch bottom. But we went over to Pond 8, and it looked just as deep as Pond 10. I was like, I'm not getting in there, man. And, you know, you're in a marsh. You know, sticks are few and far between in some of those places. So you can't really test the depth. Um, so we tried to do some wood duck over at Rest Haven and, um, we were looking for, uh, just about anything over there at, at, at Metzger's and um, we saw hundreds of birds at Metzger's, 
But every time we seemed to go to one spot or another, they would go to a different spot. Um, we saw tons of Canadian geese, but unfortunately their, the, their flight pattern took them into a spot at uh, the Metzger's and you couldn't shoot because you were near somebody's house. So part of that um, uh, levee system and dike system that they've got out over there through uh, ODN ODNR, Ohio Department of Natural Resources, that manages the land, um, you know, they're, they're, you know, you can't fire within so many yards of a house and all these things. So we couldn't shoot over there. And I think those damn geese knew that. So we couldn't shoot them. Uh, we saw tons of swans which are protected in Ohio. Um, there's a, an Asian species that's kind of pushing out the trumpeter swan. And, uh, you know, the article that we found said that, you know, there were only like 100 mating pairs of, of trumpeter swan in Ohio, so they're, they're protected. But if you go to other states, you can shoot swan. Um, I've never shot one, and this is the first time I've seen one in the wild out on the hunt. So, you know, bucket list, check. Um, we saw a lot of mallards, we saw a lot of bluebills, we saw a lot of mergansers, um, and I mean, they were, they were flying, they were flying in, in 40 and 50 knot winds, um, but I mean, if you were going to try and shoot one of those things, man, you had to lead that thing 20, 30, 40 yards in some spots. <coughs> so, uh, Monday was kind of a, was kind of a skunk, was kind of a wash. Um, but Tuesday, the winds died down overnight, and uh, Tuesday we got to go out. Uh, so what these locals do with these guide services up on Lake Erie is, is they buy these 24 and 32 uh, foot aluminum boats, and then they custom build blinds to go in them. And I thought uh, Captain Ken and his Wild Wing service uh, had done a wonderful job with how they had outfitted these boats. Um, so on the starboard side, or the right-hand side of the boat, was uh, the, the captain's uh, wheel, captain's chair, at the very back of the boat, and then the full length of the boat, all the way up to the bow, he had a custom uh, welded apparatus that basically served as a wind and rain shield. Um, so it came up about, eh, about four and a half feet. And, uh, and it came up and arced over you, and then the first foot of that apparatus were built-in shelves covered with uh, uh, camouflage, uh, it wasn't netting, it was more like a camouflage sheet that you could kind of snap into place. So when we got to where we were going to hunt, the captain stopped the, uh, put the motor in neutral, and we're just kind of floating around, let the current take us where we where we were gonna just kind of float around. And he started. He said, "Okay, pull those canvas uh, camouflage uh, covers off." And and behind those covers were three or four shelves of decoys. And there had to have been seventy five decoys in this boat. And so he said, "Well, okay, you know, so out here this time of year, give me the bluebills, give me the buffleheads, give me the redheads." Um, you know, we probably put out three dozen decoys in a, in a nice, uh, spread pattern there in front of us. And then we, he maneuvered the boat, uh, to kind of put the boat about five feet from this rock jetty. 
and uh, you know we dropped the anchors uh, into the rock jetty to hold the boat in place and and sure enough and those those ducks came in there they were you know he was calling them and we had a good time um, we uh, we had a number of uh, different bluebill flocks kind of come in there and check it out uh, we never saw any buffleheads or redheads we got a ton of mergansers came in there and uh, so we we bagged a whole bunch of those uh, nine of them well technically we we limited out but with the currents and the wind um, you know some of them they either sank or they they floated out into the bay before we could get them picked up so uh, but it was a good hunt on Tuesday we enjoyed it and uh, I would highly recommend it. Um, obviously, I would pick better weather. We uh, um, we were talking to the guide, and he said pretty much from mid-November to mid-December, about the the weekend or, or next weekend, that month is usually when the best hunting occurs up on Lake Erie in those bays. So, um, um, you know, we'll give it a shot again next year. Um but my buddy was telling me that his dad might be trying to um, to to set up a trip. He wants to when these guys on the East Coast, when you know they're avid duck hunters, they're the, they're in the Atlantic Flyway. Um, they get curious about the other flyways, and you know his dad is seventy six now, and um, still out there getting it, and. Um, he he wants to go back and and hunt the Mississippi Flyway, um, so they're they're looking for something. That's what he told me anyway. His dad's looking for something in the Mississippi Flyway, and his dad's also looking at trying to get back to Nebraska for a pheasant hunt. So uh, uh, the invitations were extended to me to go do those two things, in addition to the uh, quail hunt uh, in the spring. So looks like 2022, I might get. A couple duck hunting or a couple hunting trips outside of Ohio um, next year. So we got the quail hunt in the spring down on the coast. Uh, possibly a pheasant hunt in uh, the fall, and then possibly a duck hunting trip in the winter. Um, obviously, those are the seasons for birds. You can't hunt in the summer uh, for pretty much anything. So, but it was a good time, and I've got you know what. If, if the price is right and something comes up and I can get one of these bigger boats, um, you know, I, I, I've hunted in all kinds of things. I've, I've hunted in blinds on, on shore. I've hunted in blinds that were built out in the water uh, that you can only reach by boat. Um, I've hunted out of boats. Um, a couple years ago, we went out to the coast and I've hunted in a scissor blind. Uh, that is a labor-intensive endeavor. But it's quite ingenious, and it works, and I know it works because the ducks damn near flew into the boat, and luckily I was paying attention, and uh, was able to, to bring the bird down before it actually landed into the, in the boat. Um, and then this, this new experience out on Lake Erie with these custom-built blinds, um, it actually makes me want to start a business. I'll tell you what, some of these blinds are pretty ingenious. Um... I've had a couple ideas for businesses, particularly in the in the hunting and camping genres, <coughs> genres, industries. Um, you know, years ago, I think I mentioned this years ago. I, I mentioned to my wife, and I think I mentioned it on the show. But 
Um, you know, I was like, you know, it would be great if they started manufacturing tents where the bottom foot of the tent plus the bottom of the tent was all one homogenous piece of, of plastic, you know, like a tarp material. And sure enough, 10 years later, they start making tents and that's all the bottoms are made out of now. So I still think I should go into start a business and do that, but make four season tents, um, in, in muted colors, you know, browns and tans and greens. Uh, I mean, I, I have no desire to go buy a tent uh, that's yellow or red or bright fluorescent green. And I mean, that's for for my proclivities and my mindsets when it comes to preparedness. I, I don't want a tent that you could see from the freaking space station. I mean, that's just, I don't know. So anybody has an idea, you know, you should definitely try and figure out a way to try and pursue that and, and and that's what I do day in and day out and my other idea was was outfitting these boats um, you know I think that would be a, a worthwhile endeavor um, I, I would definitely I definitely have some improvements that I would make on that uh, setup uh, to you know especially when it came to travel um, you know trailering the boat and and taking it from one place to another there's a, a way to do that um i like it that was a good setup all right let's uh let's take a break and then we'll get to um the article i mentioned last week about three months of survival food for only a hundred dollars and we'll compare and contrast that to what i've written to kind of give you an idea all right be right back and now we pause for some shameless self-promotion if you like the show and are curious as to how my mind works, then pick up my five-part fictional series today. In a nutshell, over the course of When Rome Stumbles, Hannibal is at the gates by the dawn's early light, colder weather, and a time for reckoning, I crash the big ag and financial industries, unleash some jihadists and an EMP, then we spend 20 years trying to evade a socialist dictator. All five parts are available in paperback and electronic formats. Parts 1 through 3 are in audio format, and parts 4 and 5 will be in audio format by the end of the year. Now back to the show. Well, I, guess, I guess I should should say that, um, so, on the um, uh, port side of the boat was another, uh, so the, the, the starboard side came up about four and a half feet or so, and the starboard side came up about three feet, so you had this you were able to sit on mounted uh, boat seats with the wind not blowing in your face. If it were raining, we would not have gotten wet. Um, but if you're looking out over the water, you know, you're looking over your decoys, you're, you're watching the horizon, you're watching bird patterns, where are they going, where, how high are they, uh, you can observe the weather or what have you. But if you look at it like from a cross section, you just have this this window of about a foot, foot and a half, and because it comes up on the port side and it comes over your head on the starboard side, um, so I thought I should explain that it it wasn't just the starboard side, or else the boat would constantly be leaning, so it had counterbalance on the on the port side as well. So uh, I found this article and it piqued my interest, and I've read through it. Um, and, and the article was written by Rich M and, uh, it was published on the, uh, Ask a Prepper website, um, in late November. 
and it's titled three months of survival food with only a hundred dollars so in essence what rich is espousing is a limited diet meaning you're eating the same thing more or less day in and day out it's designed to have the right amount of nutrients the right amount of calories but uh, you're you're basically eating uh, rice and beans and you're eating pan bread with uh, with with some peanut butter and what he goes on to to basically say is that um, and, and this one kind of made me chuckle and kind of cock an eye and give a, 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 a kind of a grin at him he said, quote, there are some authors who have written that we should stockpile the same foods our families are accustomed to eating. Obviously, those authors haven't thought things through or they never would have said that. Those who know what they're talking about prescribe a totally different diet for survival. So, <laughs> end quote. So this is where Rich and I differ, disagree. So, but I think there's a caveat. Um, he's talking about survival. What I'm talking about is long-term nutritional survival if you're in a static location, meaning you have either decided to bug in or bug out, and you are at your bug out location. What I am espousing is that you should provide some variety. You know what your family likes. You know what your family doesn't like. You should have been testing these different types of foods, whether they be freeze-dried or um, whether they be canned or, you know, whatever. Uh, pastas, sauces, soups, you know, whatever it is that you're going to, that you're planning on doing, you need to have done the work to make sure that whatever it is that you're going to stockpile is edible. But what he's trying to do is simply have a cache of food that'll keep everybody alive for three months. Um, but he goes on to basically say, uh, here's where your $100 gets broken down. So you buy a 50-pound bag of rice. Um, he quoted a price of $17.54. That gives you 400 servings at 206 calories. You eat two servings per meal. Two servings per meal. Okay. Pinto beans. You can buy 50 pounds of pinto beans for $30.72. Gives you 600 servings at 42 calories. You eat three servings per meal. Pinto beans are a great source of protein. Cooking oil. Buy two packs, buy two, two packs totaling three gallons. For $20.76, that gives you 384 servings at 124 calories, giving us enough for two servings per meal used mostly in the making of pan bread. Flour. Basically, you're buying 15, you're buying 50 pounds, but he says buy two 25-pound bags of flour for $15.46. That gives you 225 cups at 455 calories. Eat one per meal with peanut butter on it. The peanut butter is a good source of protein and fats. In addition, we need to buy baking powder at $4.98, salt for $1.52, 
and peanut butter, which is a he says a two pack of forty ounce jars for six fifty two. It's one hundred eighty eight calories per serving, once per day. Total cost for that shopping trip is $97.50, leaving $2.50 to splurge on something you like, maybe a pack of gum. He goes on to say, if you had more than $100, is that's the heading, he says, well, this proves that a basic stockpile of food to survive three months can be purchased for $100. I don't think anyone would really want to live on it. So this is where he and I agree. So, uh, he's trying to just, you know, when so, when I see somebody say, I can get three months of survival food for a hundred bucks, or I can get three, I can get three months of food for a hundred dollars, and I see that you're limiting the diet that way, that, that gives me pause. And then he affirmed that questioning, that pausing when he says, you can do this, but I don't think you're going to wa really want to do it. Um, but if you have more than $100, you can uh, amend some of those ingredients. You, not ingredients, but you can kind of add to them um, by picking up some spices. Uh, beef and chicken bouillon. Uh, pasta and spaghetti sauce. Powdered eggs and milk. And sugar. Sugar is also used for baking um, and obviously honey. So while I agree that, yes, this is something that you can do, um, we disagree on the approach. I, I would never go out and tell anybody, hey, for 100 bucks, I can get you food for three months, and but you're only going to eat this. I, I, I would not recommend doing that. Um, and his article goes on to, to kind of prove that out, um, because he's got these extra sections in here. One I just read to you, um, and another one was titled, what else should you add for that hundred dollar stockpile? And then he goes in to list jams and jellies to go with the peanut butter, uh, more baking necessities like baking powder, baking soda, uh, fruits, canned vegetables, canned, canned meat. Uh, canned meat can get quite expensive. Um, there's actually quite a variety available. This is his, his words. Tuna, salmon, chicken, which I've used. It's pretty good. Uh, and he says the same thing. Then you have Spam, Vienna sausages, corned beef, corned beef hash. Um, you can go get dried meat, which is even more expensive, but it's great for soups. Um, you can find uh, dehydrated and freeze-dried meats. Uh, honey, I would definitely recommend whatever you do, whatever stockpile you're going to get, put in as many bottles of honey as you can find, as you can afford. It never goes bad, and it's good for you. It's good for your health. It's good as a sweetener, uh, and it's just flat-out delicious. Um, and then he also says dried vegetables, which you can dry yourself and put those in the soups, and then and or coffee and or tea. So... <laughs> let's take a look at the book. So in the book, Preparing to Prepare, A General Guide to Self-Sufficiency and Preparedness, if you have the physical book, not the electronic copy, if you go to page 46 or if you go have the electronic copy, go to the table of contents and go to the bulk food purchases in chapter 5. And 
uh, I'm sorry, chapter 4. There's a section called bulk, bulk Food Purchases. And I write, The big box stores are really good places for the bulk purchases of things like oils, sugar, flour, rice, beans, spices, etc. Be warned, though, you have to have a game plan for these purchases before you buy them. Restaurant owners don't have an issue because they're planning to cook that 50-pound bag of rice inside of a week. Same for the homesteader self-sufficiency and off-grid folks, except they plan to divvy up all 50 pounds into food-grade 5-gallon buckets using the dry ice method, oxygen absorbers, or the vacuum sealer. Storage and future use is the mindset you need when buying in bulk. Additional cost savings can be found if you were to combine your purchase dollars with other families that are preparing as well and buy by the case lot. Big box stores like Sam's and Costco are good places to find large number 10 size cans of certain items as well. That being said, one of the things I like to purchase there are hygiene products and pasta. Go get your toothbrushes, get your floss, get your toothpaste, and then go buy a ton of pasta. You can get that stuff there for dirt cheap. It's an odd combination, I know. My recommendation is for you to go to one of these stores with no agenda and just walk around. Go, and this is, uh, I'm just talking to you now. Go look and see what options are available to you when it comes to flour, cooking oils, rice, sugar, beans, canned goods, spices, you name it. Go look, okay? Um... Back to the book, I did that one time while I was doing some research. I literally went aisle by aisle with a calculator and a notepad. On page 47, um, I give you some of that breakdown, okay? Um, and I rounded it to the nearest dollar when, uh, you know, because it was, say, like four seventy-nine. Well, I just rounded it to 5 bucks. So for flour, you can get 10 pounds of all-purpose 25 pounds of all-purpose or you can get 25 pounds of bread flour the cost for 25 pounds of all-purpose flour was seven dollars and if you do the math that comes out to two cents per ounce cooking oil there was a large assortment assortment of cooking oil they had canola vegetable corn olive clear frying oil peanut oil and soy slash vegetable oil so all oil is not the same what I would tell you to do is to try these out and try cooking with them. There are plenty of reviews on some of these oils on like the Sam's Club website or the Costco website where somebody went in and they bought uh, four and a half gallons of peanut oil. They went and bought one and a quarter gallons of vegetable oil. I mean, these are not small quantities. And... You know, they tried to cook with it, and it did not cook the way that they would normally, that the way that normally cooked when they bought, um, say, a, a better name brand brand, uh, and tried cooking with that. Like, they went to the grocery store and got uh, Mazzola oil or whatever, you know. It, it, it's a different brand. It's refined differently. It's refined more. Um, so, I would definitely tell you to cook with those. But if you got... Four and a half gallons of peanut oil, that's 35 bucks. That's six cents per fluid ounce. That's the most expensive one. The cheapest one is either clear frying oil or soy slash vegetable oil, 
Those came in at $17 and $16 respectively, and they were both four and a half gallons, and both of them came out to about three cents per fluid ounce. So it depends on what you like in terms of flavoring, but it also is going to depend on how well does that oil cook, how well does it serve your needs. Um, you can get 50 pounds of long grain rice for $17 at and I went to Sam's Club. Um, if you wanted to get jasmine rice, you could get 50 pounds of that for $32. So that's almost double the cost. And that came out to $0.04 cents per ounce versus $0.02 cents per ounce for the 50 pounds of long grain rice. You could get smaller quantities, 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 25 pounds. Uh, you can get 20 pounds of basmati rice for 20 bucks at $0.06 cents per ounce. Uh, you can get 10 pounds of long grain rice for five bucks is three cents per ounce. Um, you know, so if you got five, ten, no, it'd be $25 if you bought it in 10 pound increments. So if you get the 50 pound bag of long grain and then divvy it up, get the food grade barrels, the five gallon barrels, and you can fill two of those with a 50 pound bag of rice. No, one and a half maybe. Um, another thing that I found there was sugar. You can get 25 pounds of sugar for 12 bucks. That's three cents per ounce. If you want to go with Splenda or brown sugar or powdered sugar or a smaller quantity of just regular old sugar, 10 pounds meaning is what I meant. You know, one and a half, or I'm sorry, yeah, one one and a quarter pound bag of Splenda was 11 bucks. It's 57 cents per ounce. Why would you do that? Why? When you can get 25 pounds of sugar. For $12. Now mind you, all the prices that I put in the book, they were all pre-ding-dong in the White House and, you know, supply chain problems and inflation. So I would expect these prices have gone up, but you can do that. Um, I also note on page 48, outside of the items that I noted in the bulk cost list table on page 47, I also found four pounds of salt, which you could use for flavoring and curing. Four pounds of salt for two dollars, which is three cents per ounce. You can get three pounds of flaxseed for seven dollars, which is fifteen cents per ounce. Um, but that was pretty much it. There were no other sizes available for either, and there were no other grains available besides flaxseed at Sam's Club. So you're going to have to hunt around if you want to find, you know wheat um, you know it just I, I talk about these things and I write about these things because of the general dynamics of how the human body works you need food water shelter and heat and the ability to cool off that's the shelter part you need to get out of the elements, but once you're out of the elements, you need to be able to stay warm. You need to be able to find food or have food stored up. You need to be able to have access to water. You need these things. They are the highest things on the priority list. Now, there are a variety of means available to you to achieve these goals of food, water, shelter. You can own land and build something. You can acquire the skills to build your own shelter in the wilderness. 
you can have previously acquired uh, a compound bow or a recurve bow or a firearm. Those will help you find other protein sources in the form of meat. You know, from the rabbits and squirrels all the way to a deer or a duck. You know, moose, elk, caribou, alligator. You know, whatever it is that, that is a viable protein source, you need to be able to address that shortcoming. And one of the ways that you can do that is to buy yourself some time by having stored up food and water. And this is Rich gets to this in his article. He's saying, hey, look, you can do it, but it's not going to be the tastiest thing. So my first thought is, well, why would I do that? If I can go out and do some research when, you know, times are technically good, you know, that by saying that I mean society hasn't collapsed, we still have electricity, we still have, you know, heat oil, we have propane, we have a gas feed, we have water feed, we have a well, whatever. We still have everything that we need to make our life as convenient as possible. Do the research, build a knowledge base, and then start solving each of these problems individually as time allows, as money allows, as your knowledge allows. And one of the first things I tell people to address is food and water. After that, you need to start looking at how to, I should say, food, water, shelter. After that, you need to start figuring out, okay, so I have managed to squirrel away um, uh, three months of food for my family of four and my dog. Okay, good start. How much water do you have? Well, I was going to fill up the bathtub with my water bob. Okay, that's not a bad plan. That'll give you almost 50 plus gallons of water. What happens when you run out of water? Well, uh, okay, so let's talk about rain barrels. Let's talk about, you know, if you have land, can you, can you put in a pond? Do you have, and if you can't do that, if you don't have land, and, you know, what are you looking at in terms of uh, additional water sources? we got the rain barrels. Okay, great. Well, how far is your, your closest open water source? If you're stuck in a, in a, in a small town, you don't have a well, you, you, your city feed has been cut off, and, and you don't have rain barrels. Guess what? You're hiking. I hope you got a wheelbarrow or your kid's got a wagon that you can put buckets in and go get water every day. Okay, how are you going to stay warm in the winter? Well, I don't have any firewood. Okay, so that's a problem you got to solve. You just got to work your way through these problems and start addressing them. And I don't mean, well, I've got three cords of firewood. Okay. Um, you live in Minnesota. You're going to get cold. You're going to go through three cords of firewood during a winter in Minnesota. What's your backup plan? Where are you going to get more wood? Can you store more wood? And if you can, where? Is it going to be conspicuous? Are your neighbors going to try and poach it? Are you going to have to defend your firewood? Or is your backup plan to start breaking up your furniture and throwing it in the fireplace? I don't recommend that. But you need to start working your way through these problems. Starting with food, water, shelter.
especially if you're planning on bugging out. You need to make sure that wherever you're going has got the bulk of your stuff and it's secure. If you've got a little cabin or a little uh, farmhouse on some property somewhere, you know, do you have the means to monitor said site remotely when you're not there? Say, you know, you're like me. You're, you're living in the suburbs. You're planning on buying some land. So take this hypothetical. Say I bought land. Do I have the means to monitor that land remotely, meaning trail cams or something like that, where I can get notifications on my phone or I can see an uploaded file from the trail cam from the previous night that somebody was out on my property spotlighting deer, that they were poaching. Buddy, My buddy who came up here, he has just such an option. So, he has land that he's not currently living on, and he's got trail cams set up that remotely go to uh, his phone. And he caught a guy out hunting on his land without permission. He shot a deer, that's poaching, and then this person proceeded to track the deer that he had shot into a state park while carrying his loaded rifle, hauled the deer out, and went home. And my buddy was reviewing his trail cam footage and thought he recognized the guy but couldn't place him. Turns out it's a former employee for a guy who does work for him. And at some point... The guy had been told about Rob's property. He went out. He poached the deer. He identified the guy. The state wildlife officer went, took his gun, took his truck, took the deer, and then locked him up. That guy went from thinking he was harmlessly poaching a deer to spending 10 days in jail and then getting a multi-thousand dollar fine and was uh, and, and had his hunting license revoked for several years. So people make mistakes, but this guy did it knowingly and willingly, and he paid the price. And an interesting little side note, which uh, law enforcement officer has the most power? When it comes to, is it your sheriff? Is your city police? Is it the state police? The answer is the wildlife officer. There are about 15 more things that that cop can do to you and your property that a state trooper cannot do to you, that the sheriff himself cannot do to you. I do not mess around when it comes to the legalization or legally shooting and hunting and fishing and trapping. I will follow every law to the letter and so should you do not get caught out like this guy did and lose your truck lose your means to get to work because you were lazy or you decided to take a shortcut you will get screwed every single time anyway so I gave you some highlights of Rich's article um, and then I gave you some comparisons and some contrasts to what he's written 
where I agree, where I disagree with him. And I would highly recommend that you review um, the food section in Chapter 4, starting on page 46. It includes the bulk food purchases, the prepackaged food options, and most importantly, it's got subsections in here for uh, servings per person, as well as uh, if you were to go the prepackaged route, what your costs might look like, and that takes you up through page 51. So I would go from pages 46 to 51, and I would start taking a lot of that to heart when it comes to your food and what it means to have enough servings per person, enough calories per person, because I've said this before, if you have a loss of power for multiple days, multiple weeks, you're doing work. You are cleaning up your property. You're cutting up trees that have blown down or uh, the root systems have been so waterlogged that they just let go and they come down that way. You're going to have a high caloric burn. You need to replace the calories. So you need to be thinking about those things. So I would highly recommend you review pages 46 to 51 and keep building your knowledge base. Keep solving the problems as they come up, as you can afford them, as your knowledge base allows. You can come up with different solutions. Never have just one plan. You need to have a backup plan and you need to have a backup plan to that plan because if it can go wrong, it will. All right? Woo! That's enough preaching from Dave. We're at the 45-minute mark. I hope you enjoyed it. And I will come up with something for next week. Not sure what it's going to be. I still have my little post-it note here about um, aquaponics and, uh, and nuclear. Um, nuclear is really not a preparedness topic. It's more of a climate change wonker conversation. Um, and I think I'll talk about that maybe on, on, on Saturday about different uh, op, uh, uh, electricity options uh, that this nation is facing uh, because of this idiot. So, uh, but I, I think I want to present aquaponics. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. I've, I've still got my note, um, but if, if I don't find something else, we'll just talk about that. All right, guys. Uh, it was a good show. Very informative. Sorry for preaching. I hope uh, you didn't take any offense by it, but I'm quite passionate about what I do and what I preach. And I, I want you to be as knowledgeable as possible, uh, as quickly as possible, so that if these idiots in Washington keep going down the same path and, and we start having some problems, I want you guys to be prepared. I want you to be able to be as self-sufficient as possible and and not having to get in the car burning whatever precious fuel you have left in your tank to go to a grocery store only to find the shelves are empty. I want you to have your shelves at home full. And I want you to do that sooner rather than later so that you don't have to ever worry about these yahoos. All right? We'll talk again. We'll talk uh, preparedness again next week. So uh, be good. Keep preparing. Keep reading. Keep building your knowledge base. And uh, we'll talk again. Be good. Happy Hunger Games. And may the odds be ever in your favor. Thank you.